This episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast is brought to you by Optimal Thrive Nutrition, a metabolic efficiency training program created by Dina Griffin, registered dietitian and friend of mine. She's just absolutely fabulous. We have a new program starting in October, and there'll be more stuff in the future. So check it out. Registration is open now for the October group, and you can learn more at OptimalThriveNutrition.com. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes all of the difference in our health, our happiness, and our success. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today, I have Dina Griffin with me. Hi, Dina. Hi, Meredith. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm excited to be chatting with you today. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. So, you guys, Dina is, um, where do we start with Dina? I'm going to let Dina tell you who Dina is because I always get the qualifications <laughs> wrong. But <laughs> Dina, um, we work together. She's she's my um sports dietitian, dietitian, nutritionist. I'm going to let her get the term right. But um, I work with her with my nutrition and um, we have our program together, Optimal Thrive. And so I wanted to have her on and just chat through a bunch of things because Dina's super fun as well and um, go through some common misconceptions about nutrition and sports nutrition and all sorts of fun stuff. So first off, Dina... Who are you and where do you come from? <laughs> where do I come from? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll talk about who I am, what I do, and then we can see what else needs to be filled in. Um, so, yes, I am a registered dietitian. I have a Master of Science degree in, in um, food science, human nutrition. I'm also a board-certified um, specialist in sports dietetics, which essentially means a sport dietitian. Um, and I have a couple other uh, certifications along that vein. And, and in addition, I'm a level two metabolic efficiency training specialist, which I know we'll talk about metabolic efficiency training a little throughout our conversation today. Um, so, yeah, I work mostly with active folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be an elite level athlete to, to do work with me. But it runs the gamut from, you know, off the couch folks who just want to start being more active and, and, you know, promote or improve their health to, you know, how do I work this nutrition thing as I become more active and athletic um, to those who are, you know, competing um, at higher levels, you know, mostly endurance sport is my focus, Um, but uh, to be honest, I've worked with... uh, people who play golf and tennis uh-huh. and some stand-up paddlers. So, you know, a, a wide range of sports, um, but health and sport nutrition together. So you always don't mention the fact that you're also quite the athlete yourself and apparently a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> I knew my, my kind of new, newish sport is to bring back my guitar and, and hack that. at it. I love it. I love it. So let's talk about your um, your athletic accomplishments. You've done some pretty big races. 
Well, and it's funny because I didn't grow up an athlete. I mean, I was a bookworm, kind of a nerdy type in, in my youth and got into music and punk rocker for a little while. Um, but, yeah, when I moved to Colorado from the Midwest, um, which is where I come from, um, uh-huh. you know, it's it's such a different lifestyle out here in uh, Colorado and the mountains. And I just found interest in putting on some running shoes and hopping out the door to figure out, you know, how, to, how do you um, – enjoy the lifestyle out here, the outdoors and running for me is, is where I started in, in my own journey with sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got more into the sport nutrition aspect, I realized how amazing is it if I can do the things that I, that I see in my athlete people, <laughs> you know, athlete so people. like <laughs> my athlete people, you know, so what is, what is it to work hard at a 5K versus a road marathon? And then, you know, I kind of got some, some wild hairs to do this Ironman thing, <laughs> although I haven't done as many as you, but um, triathlon all distance and ultra running, some cycling, mo- mountain, you know, off-road cycling and, and road biking. And um, I think it's really beneficial to be in the shoes of the people we work with, right, to, to really feel that and live that and um, kind of understand the challenges and, and all of the um, barriers and things to, to merge nutrition and sport together. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a registered dietitian. There's a ton of quote-unquote nutritionists out there, and apparently that's like in the state of Georgia, paralegal is not like in the law field. You don't have, it's not a legally protected phrase. So you can call yourself a paralegal and pretty much not do much. Um, that's oh, not wow, to take away. Yeah. And that's not to take away from the qualified paralegals out there, of course, but nutritionist is a similar, similar phrase, really. Um, it is. you can just yeah. kind of call yourself whatever. So walk us through maybe some, cause I, your qualifications are quite impressive. And I, I want people to understand just how much schooling and <laughs> expertise you truly do have um, as, as compared to just someone who decides to call themselves a nutritionist. Yeah. And it is, it is pretty muddy these days. Like who knows what or what have they studied? What's their formal education? Um, you know, cause we have health coaches, we have holistic health coach, nutritionist, sport nutritionist, registered dietitian, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on. Um, I mean, truly registered dietitians are the only legally protected, authorized folks throughout our whole country that that can do um, nutrition assessments, prescriptions, you know, diagnose someone and treat them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a legally protected um, field or credential, whereas the others, and no offense, I know we're all trying to help help each other, but if nutritionists, I mean, truly, I, I joke, Meredith, like, if you know that an orange has vitamin C in it, you just call yourself a nutritionist <laughs> because that's what happens. I mean, um, there's really 
no certifying agency to protect the term nutritionist, so anyone can call themselves that. Um, and the background and education can be literally like a four day, a four hour, you know, nutrition course, and, and you call yourself a nutritionist at that point. Um, but with RDs, registered dietitians, you need a minimum of a bachelor of science degree. Um, you have to do uh, a crazy long internship in various aspects of dietetics. So you know this. Um, behavioral-type nutrition community, nutrition clinical nutrition, food science. You, you really have to be in all areas, um, and it's over a 1,000 hours that you have to spend in the internship. Take an exam, which is pretty challenging, and then to even maintain your credentials, you have to do um, continuing education credits every Five years, you need a set number of approved um, CEUs, just like you do for some of the other fields and, and professions out there. Um, but all of that has to be submitted, approved by um, the credentialing agency, and so it's 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 certainly uh, more of a big deal. Got it. Got it. That's a lot. That's a lot of hours of internship. Holy moly. It is a lot, yeah, and I feel, you know, I try not to um, bash the others who are not RDs, but truly I feel, you know, I heard this analogy the other day, like you wouldn't, if your plumbing system in your house wasn't working, you, you probably wouldn't just hire Joe Schmo off the street to go fix it, you know, because your plumbing is, it, it's so vital to the operation of your house. <laughs> So with our health, you know, why aren't we all being a little bit more particular about who guides us and assists us in improving health? Um, well, I, I mean, I think it's... Oh, go ahead. I, well, I think I was just going to say it's great to get started with, you know, maybe a health coach just to figure out where in the heck to, to get things going. But if you've got any sort of medical issue or specific goals, you know, uh, you do yourself a better favor by just going for the real deal and, and getting a dietitian on your support team. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. It, it also depends like in, in your health and your, your nutrition, kind of where your starting point is as, as a client, really. Um, if you're nothing but Doritos and Cheetos all day, um, you know, maybe just having a baseline is helpful. But I know um, when you and I started working together, it was really refreshing to dig into some real details of, of nutrition and not just, um, I don't want to say fluff, but fluff, um, where it was just really general. And, you know, I tried that. And, I, you know, a lot of us are really super conscious and try really hard to break through plateaus and get through stuff. And then when you're just not given any real help or answers and it's all very general, it becomes extremely frustrating. And so that's what I've really come to appreciate with having you on my team, Dina. Oh yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, and seeing the differences too. And, um, even just our affiliation, I mean, that shows the importance of it. I think and I think we're headed a little bit more towards that area where coaches and 
um, even massage therapists or chiropractors or functional um, medical practitioners align with a registered dietitian, um, you know, to, to form that support system to better serve the people, right. you know. I mean, it's just much more complementary, and we can each focus on our expertise area. Right, right. It's, it's each each person in their proper place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with um, exactly. health as being the center. So let's let's talk about some positive stuff. Um, <laughs> I asked you this question, and you acted like you had a surprise for me. So I, I don't know, but um, one of the things that I always like to ask folks in the health um, air arena, I guess, or are like some tangible things that people can do to improve their health, like right now, or um, you know, three steps or four steps that really helps someone like who's listening say they want to make a change. So what are three things in your mind that someone can do right now? Steps they can take to improve their health right now. And I I hear you laughing, so I have no idea what's coming. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't have a joke or anything lined up, but you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a dietitian who'd, who wouldn't say something like, Eat more vegetables. Drink your water. Eat, yeah. Have less processed food. Watch the sugar in your nutrition and cut that down. You, you know, I mean, that's, it's it's out there. And I think unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard those things before. But, but why aren't people doing it? Mm-hmm. So I think, Meredith, my response would be, okay, we know all of that stuff, right? But... My three things would be um, take some days, everyone listening, to to just sit and observe yourself in this nutrition context. I would say, you know, take a week and, and just be your own best observer. So this is hard for people. We're so busy. Yeah. But what are you eating? How do you feel as a response to what you eat? You know, what's your energy level throughout your every day? Is Monday different than Saturday? Um, are you and a be grazer? honest with yourself, right? This honest. Is, you know, I, and I don't know if I've told you about this, but I used to lie to myself. Like I would, when I would observe or myself or, or log my food, I would just lie. I mean, have you ever met anyone yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just lie to oh, themselves. yeah. <laughs> lie. Or, I mean, some of us don't realize what we're doing because we're so distracted with how busy we are with family, work, training, etc. But if you make this a priority, you know, let's call it self-observation for one week. And I know some of this people will just glaze over like, what is she? <laughs> I just want to be told what to eat. Right. But that doesn't work. I mean, it will work to a degree, but if you really want to make some health changes, you got to dig deep. Yeah. And and you know this too, right, Meredith, from your journey from other people that you've worked with. But, yeah. Um, so really just taking a look at what you're doing. No judgment. Just observe. And then I think that next step, maybe part two, would be, a little bit more of the reflection and and thinking about the impact. Um, Does it affect your sleep? Are you not exercising to the best of your ability? You know, have you um, 
gained some body fat over recent years and you're not okay with it, you know, from a health perspective, this isn't good for disease prevention or longevity or for moving faster in your sport of choice. Right. Um, You know, what is it that you notice the um, cause and effect between how you eat and how you want to be? And and then along with that, how ready are you to move forward and make some changes? And I think that's a beautiful thing. Just where are you in your readiness to step forward and commit whatever that is for you? You know, so if it is the, okay, one less bag of Doritos, hey, that's a positive step, you know? Right. Um, but th- I think then that third, you know, Part of this would be let's move on it and get some guidance. I mean, of course, I'm biased and work with a dietitian or work with me. But but you know, take find somebody who is professionally trained and educated and get them on your team and and be okay with small changes, steady and small changes. That's going to make for the most long term success towards positive health change. It's really hard because um, I've been on a diet my whole life. And so, you know, you all, I feel like I've always wanted to change. <laughs> and I've always been on this trajectory of how do I change? How do I lose this weight? How do I, you know, it's always the next thing. And it's really hard to know who to trust and what to trust. And, you know, there's, there's shakes and supplements and, and a million things out there staring us in the face and, and you know, it's really, it's hard, like even when you and I work together and, um, I know that, that you're a fabulous expert and everything is really sound. And and it's hard even when I would tell people about your program, because it's like, no, really you can trust us, (laughs) you know, because there's so much out there that you can't trust. And so what do you, what do you think about when you see stuff out there that just makes your skin crawl or like shakes and supplement? Like what is your take on all the diet industry and kind of how it ties into what you do? Oh my gosh, Meredith. It's to me, I mean, I just see dollar signs. (laughs) Yeah. Not for me personally or professionally, but, um, the supplements, I mean, for one, that whole supplement industry isn't regulated, so there's some safety issues. Yeah. And I get really nervous for people who, you know, want... I know we've all been there to some degree. Like, I want the quick fix, and I need to drop 10 pounds before my wedding or whatever, or my race. But um, when we're looking at health and having some smarts, you know, I, I get really nervous for people who get lured into the quick fix shakes, um, supplements, the, you know, the multi-level marketing schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my, uh, the people that I hear, oh, I'm buying, you know, the supplement from my friend who, who's selling, you know, this because she, she saw some changes in her body weight. And so I bet it's going to work for me, you know, that thinking. Right. Um, it, it's, it's, there, it's, there's so many layers to it, but, but truly I think a lot of folks, um, if you're on the receiving end, you want the quick fix. If you're on the other end pushing the supplements, I mean, you, 
it's hard to separate the bias from, you know, the, the money-making aspect of that industry. Right. Um, and so I, I, you know, I really want people that I work with and people that, that you and I have encountered together to, to really know that you can, you can make helpful changes without being caught up in the um, costly supplement world mm-hmm. or the shakes or the meal replacements and things. And, and we can make a lot of changes with real food. Well, and I think this ties into the, you know, you, you mentioned it, the quick fix mentality. I mean, I think the reason that I've finally made progress and I don't necessarily mean in my weight loss, I just mean in my life and kind of the mental state surrounding my body and body image and body love and all that is because I finally realized that that was actually true, that there is no quick fix. (laughs) Like it doesn't flipping exist. And if it does quick fix you, it quick messes you up later. You know, it's, you're going to pay for it on the, on the back end. And I think that's what's been so valuable about kind of getting my head straight about nutrition over these years and, and stop flogging myself for when I'm, you know, have quote unquote mess ups and that kind of thing. But I I think that that whole multi-level marketing and supplement culture is just feeding on, you know, people like me that have been overweight their whole life and continue to struggle. (laughs) And then, you know, I get to look forward to menopause and what, like five to eight years, which is really going to speed up my metabolism. Let me tell you. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point um, because, at, especially for women in our, you know, in our early twenties and things, we can we can make a lot of decisions that affect our health later on. But yeah. who wants to think about when we're forty? Right. <laughs> you know, we want to live in the moment. Exactly. So um, that's another area of concern. Is and it's hard to tell people this or turn the light bulb on when you're 22 and, you know, living the life. But, but the choices we make when we're young will affect us in, yeah. through our 30s, 40s, and beyond. And um, I, I have seen that quite a lot, trying to, like you said, trying to fix the metabolic disorder that's been yeah. created from our past. It, it can take a long time. And Meredith, yeah, you... You speak well to just like, well, I, I, you know, quote unquote, I finally realized that there isn't a quick fix and it's a different learning path for everyone. And that everyone Uh, goes through, you know, has different results. And I know, I think we all have heard it and we want to pretend like we understand it. But, like, we'll have people go through our program, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I lost 20 pounds. I feel amazing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy for you. You know, like, and it's and I am, for sure. But it's so funny because, you know, you and I are working together, but I don't have those kind of results because I've been on a diet for, you know, three decades. And I have a special set of circumstances that only my body has and in coming to terms with those unique aspects and, and looking toward, you know, my whole health and, and how I feel instead of just this whole minimizing, shrinking myself culture has, has been a, a, a great gift. And I think that's what's so great about working with you is you always emphasize and you, and you listen to, to my concerns as far as what my individual issues are. I mean, I don't, I can't just eat a certain way like other people can. 
Right. And, and you recognize that, and I think that's what's so wonderful. Yeah, there's that individual component and then us trying to move away from the comparison culture as well or like and the shrinking (laughs) shrinking body culture right right and and that is another challenge for a lot of folks and I think in your own body yeah yeah and I think this is a good segue into kind of talking about um, the whole, the vegan craze, and I hate to call it a craze, so I'll get flogged for that one for sure. So <laughs> I don't want to call it a craze. And I, and I, here I go, cause, um, I am vastly vegan. That's what I call myself. So those of you who are ready to jump on me, um, I actually eat mostly plant-based. Um, I, I joke that I call myself vastly vegan because every like two or three months, I'm like tearing down the doors of Outback Steakhouse and I'm like, I need a piece of meat. But I, the reasons I don't eat meat and dairy for the most part has to do with, um, it's kind of an inflammatory response and allergies. And and like I mentioned earlier, just decades of diet abuse on myself. I find after all the experimentation that I do better on a plant-based diet, just me personally. But I thought that Dina and I could talk about this a little bit because of a lot of the, you know, documentaries out there that have kind of come out and, and the overnight vegans and, and kind of talk about the benefits of a plant-based diet um, and how maybe some of the information might not be a thousand percent as, as it seems. So let's talk yeah. about that a little bit, Dina. I know, pros and cons, Meredith. And I try to be very unbiased, independent, you know, look at the science um, unfortunately, some of these films, which are also known as shockumentaries, um, y- you know, they can be quite sensationalized or one-sided. But how would you know that if if you're not in nutrition science? And, and right. even those who are in nutrition science can still be quite biased. Um, you know, it's that confirmation bias aspect, like this way of living works for me and that's the way it is because it works for me. Right. Um, <laughs> but having said that, I feel um, there's definitely, with vegan eating or plant-based eating, whatever the term is we want to use, there are numerous health benefits. But I think I mentioned to you, Meredith, I mean, we could eat animal proteins or we can live off of more plant, um, plant-based eating and with both avenues, we can still eat pretty crappy, you know, (laughs) so it's like, we still have to look at what is it that is in your, um, you know, the bulk of your eating, what do your meals look like and how are you feeling? And, 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 you know, with, with, um, plant-based eating, there's still a lot of processed foods out there and, you know, like soy hot dogs and stuff that, that is almost worse than eating, you know, like the animal itself, and, and maybe someone will flog me for that statement. But That's okay, we we get flogged all the time around here. It's we've all survived. <laughs> yeah, but I think for some of the films, the the documentaries and such, I mean, there there is a lot of just cherry picking of a few research studies that they may pick a couple of the um, you know statements out of the actual um, scientific study to to make that the be-all, end-all. Um, so, uh, you know, just like with any side of the nutrition um, picture, we 
we really need to look at it more closely and, and really ask ourselves, what is it we're seeking um, with our own health or our athletic pursuits or our environmental, our moral concerns, ethical concerns, and, and try to piece it all together. But it, it is tricky with um, a lot of the political aspects and, you know, almost religious fanaticism with nutrition that, that's out there. Right. Um, I know I'm kind of just throwing a bunch of thoughts here. But. No, and that's good. I mean, you know, one of the other concerns and considerations I know is brought by some of these films and books is um, kind of who is sponsoring a lot of this research and, and these studies. True. And Very true. There's some of that going on. Yeah, and, you know, I, in my schooling, even in my master's program, which it may seem like it was in the dinosaur age, but, yeah, I mean, I was taught some things that were very um, industry-driven, you know, how mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the agricultural industry or the whole grains council influences our federal government nutrition guidelines, and there's some of that, you know, under-the-table stuff that goes on. And so, I, I, you know, I was taught in my schooling some of the things that I vehemently oppose these days. Um, just looking at more of the science instead of the money and the sponsors behind the nutrition guidelines. So, you know, you you can find that in almost any aspect of nutrition, I think, but, um, and maybe that's why dietitians often get a bad rap is, well, they're affiliated with the, you know, the cow farmer association or whatever. <laughs> um, but really knowing the influence and, and pouring through more of the science and, and trying to look at it more critically and independently suits us well. So I think bottom line is, you know, plant-based eating can work. We just need to peek more in depth at what it is we're eating, just the same as we would for those who prefer to incorporate some animal protein. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about nutrition and, and the way that I kind of come at it, I, I could you know, deep down, I care that science backs up, you know, whatever I'm following, but I won't read the science papers. I don't, I'm not interested in evaluating my food logs and that kind of stuff, but I am interested in feeling better and, and really listening to what works for me. And it's, that's how I came to my, you know, current style of eating, um, through, you know, metabolic efficiency, but doing the plant-based because that makes me thrive. And that's what's so interesting is when we get to a point in our life when we can say, okay, um, what, what is making me feel good? Um, and, and that's, that's a really great step, I think, in the right direction. I think it's good too, because you use currently, like you've brought in, um, guidelines, some principles, right? But, and all of us, Ideally, right in the in the ideal world, we have um, independent, you know, non-biased, no supplements or MLM products coming in the picture. But we have some nutrition basic tenants, and then we each need to see how those are implemented best in our lifestyle with the individual we are. Um, you know, and if we can do other testing, blood testing or nutrigenomics or other kind of
kinds of nitty gritty to find out what's going on with our bodies, allergy testing and so forth, then, then we kind of bring it all together. And then the most important piece, as you're alluding to, is how do you actually feel? Mm -hmm. Um, Because then, you know, gosh, if you feel amazing, well, you're on to something. (laughs) Right. If you continue to struggle or you don't even see the signs that you're struggling, you know, someone like me can help elucidate that a bit through through testing data or other um, assessments. Well, and I've found too, like I, when I'd start certain ways of eating, like even if it was, you know, in our program and I would incorporate some foods that I haven't eaten in a while and, you know, I would go to the gym and, and one of the trainers there would be like, what is with your belly? And I'm like, thanks a lot, man. He's like, no, you're like really bloated. Mm, <laughs> and I was, yeah. But I was feeling awful. And I realized that I usually don't eat very many eggs and, you know, eggs are healthy, right? And eggs are a great source of protein. And so I was incorporating them and then I went and got allergy tested and eggs is one of my highest allergens. And it's so interesting that when, you know, we, we start a way of eating that seems great and it's working well for others, but we can have these little sensitivities, you know, all of a sudden I'm up five pounds and my stomach's sticking out and I feel bad. And it has nothing to do with eating quote badly. I'm just got right. one thing that's not working for me. And so it's yeah, crazy. And that testing validated, geez, yeah. you know, that, that yeah. particular food product does not work for your system right now or ever. I need so. cheese to come back, though. I, I don't, I'm <laughs> upset about the cheese allergy. <laughs> I know. It's tragic, that, you know. Mm, I know. Where's that magic bullet? <laughs> Where is that? Um, so what do we want to talk about next? Do we want to talk about, um, talk about metabolic efficiency, or do we want to talk about sports nutrition? We'll definitely talk about both, but which order should we discuss I think, let's see, I think the metabolic efficiency would be good to to delve into that a little bit. So let's talk about metabolic efficiency. What is it and and metabolic efficiency training? And um, that's what our program, Optimal Thrive, focuses on. And so let's use this space to kind of educate folks on what MET is. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, so metabolic efficiency training... Um, I should, you know, give a brief background that that this concept and and model was developed by my colleague over 10 years ago, um, Bob Sibahar, and I've worked alongside him for uh, seven, over seven years now. But um, this method or approach um, is basically trying to shift the body or optimize the way the body uses its internal fuel sources, um, and namely that is carbohydrate and fat. Um, so to improve your metabolic efficiency, we want to tap in or optimize the way the body uses or mobilize or, or converts fat stores to usable energy, and that's during rest or your just daily activities and also your exercise and training and racing. Um, and the kicker is that, you know, our fat stores are endless, endless supposedly, <laughs> right? I mean, depending on your body composition, you could have thirty to 40,000 calories of stored fat that you can turn into energy. 
upwards of 80, 100,000 calories or, or you know, it, it's, it's, it's an abundant pool of energy in contrast to carbohydrates, which mostly would be our um, muscle and liver glycogen, maybe 2,000 calories. You know, mm-hmm. that depends on if you're male, female, and, and a couple other parameters. But it's, it's a huge difference in the energy pool. Um, so this training aspect, you know, how do we, how do we use more fat or burn more fat is looking at what can we do with your nutrition, daily nutrition patterns, and what can we do with your movement and exercise patterns to shift your body towards um, improving that fat utilization. So essentially, it's, it's, you know, a combination of nutrition strategies, which have the, the most influence on, on making the body more metabolically efficient, and also looking at your exercise patterns. Um, and, and then we bring in that individual component to figure out which strategy or set of strategies is right for you in your lifestyle and, and with the kind of athlete you are. And I think one of the really important things to emphasize about metabolic efficiency is that it's not, it's not a diet. It's an it's a overhaul, really, of, of the way you eat in order to have a better life. It's a lifestyle. And, I, and maybe the word overhaul is not as too strong of a word because I know when I came to you, I was already eating pretty well. It was just I was not eating the right ratios, the right timing, and looking at my exercise patterns, you know, in in, con- in conjunction with the food. So does that seem like a fair sort of assessment yes. that it's a lifestyle? Yeah. I would say absolutely, Meredith. Um, number one, <laughs> you know, we were just talking about fads and diets kind of like with the supplement scheme and all that. And and really, you don't have to buy any product to be more metabolically efficient. We use real food Mm -hmm. to to shift the way the body um, uses its energy sources. And underlying that is this notion of, um, you know, how do we put together the foods that are on your list? You know, if you have allergies, sensitivities, or you just hate certain kind of food, you know, what are the foods you actually like and you will eat? Um, how do we put them together in the right amounts to optimize the blood sugar and insulin response? And all of that, like, let's stabilize your blood sugar with controlling your carbohydrates, um, fats and proteins, putting them in the right amounts to support your activity level and what your health goals are. So maybe body composition comes into play here if, if you're seeking fat loss or trying to build muscle or, or a little of each. You know, how do we move around those foods within your day um, to, to stabilize blood sugar? And all of that has this other cascade of actions in the body to gradually build the fat-burning system. Yeah. So blood sugar... Um, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to say it um, just in a way that I kind of thought about it a while ago. So to control blood sugar, we just have to cut out sugar. True? Oh, good one. There it is. <laughs> I made a joke. That is a good one. Um, I would say that's mostly not true, right, because you could st- – 
So <laughs> we have so many sources, food sources of carbohydrate, right? And it's really all carbohydrate that will break down into sugar in the body. So even if you had this big bowl of um, potatoes, you know, you you may not attribute that to a sugar food like you would a big bowl of jelly beans. Mm -hmm. But that big bowl of potatoes is still, once we eat that and it digests and absorbs, you know, our blood sugar response can be pretty darn high, you know, a significant blood sugar spike. So, So we do need to look at all sources of carbohydrate. Along the way, of course, we want to optimize the choices just so that we get the most nutrition from those from those foods, you know, in terms of vitamins, minerals, you know, what's in that particular food. Right. What does and it do for our body? There's so much here. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the nutrition fact, like the nutrients and nutrient dense and how it's really fascinating you can eat you know, calories on a calorie, not a calorie, but I feel like we'd be on the podcast forever. But let's talk, you mentioned carbohydrates. And I think one of the misconceptions about metabolic efficiency, um, you know, I got slammed in in the beginning when, when we announced that we were working together because one, somebody said, oh, well, this is a crash diet. She's going to gain the weight back. Well, you know, it's nine months later and whatever. Um, but one of the other things that was brought up was that this is a no carb diet. This is a low carb diet. Um, let's talk about how that's one of the misconceptions. You're right, because I have heard a few others, well, a number of others say that, you know, to be a better fat burner, you have to eat, you know, mounds of fat. So I'm, you know, flipping it. So it's high fat, low carb, right? Um, which, by the way, there's no. There's no standardized definition of low carb, high fat. <laughs> Everyone should know that. Um, but but you're right. So metabolic efficiency eating is not no carb. It's not the same as doing uh, Atkins or or nutritional ketosis. Um, granted, there are some people who can get to those levels where they implement ketosis. Um, and that would probably be a whole other podcast, right, Meredith? But For sure. For sure. <laughs> I, I mean... But it's not required. I think that's the, the main it's thing. Not required. It's Metabolic not required. Metabolic efficiency does not equal ketogenic diet. It, it, it can be not. a part of it, but it does not equal it. Right. And we've got several strategies for improving metabolic efficiency or the body's way of burning more fat. Um, so I think if you think of the bell curve shape um, and you have the two extreme or, you know, two ends of the bell curve, you've got high carb, low fat, and you have high fat, low carb on, on both of those ends. And all the way in between, you know, that whole major part of the bell curve is metabolic efficiency eating. Right. And we ebb and flow, we move throughout that whole bell curve, depending on health goals, athletic goals, n- you know, numerous things. So we don't eat like robots, you know, and, and <laughs> eat the same number of carbohydrates every day. We have to figure out and, and periodize carbohydrates to match activity and support what our health goals are. Right. Well, let's, that makes do, sense. let's it does. It does. Okay. And it's, it's such a, 
you know, it's such a big topic. I just want to give people kind of an overview of, of what it is, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it, it makes sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about sports nutrition and I love to talk about this with you because you are such a smarty pants when it comes to sports nutrition. You are so smart and you're so math oriented and my eyes glaze over, but I, I appreciate the, the detail behind it. But, you know, some of the misconceptions in sports nutrition is just, man, I don't know if it's worse than the multi-level marketing at this point, but um, let, let's talk about protein. Someone okay. recently said that everyone gets enough protein and you don't have to worry about that, um, in regards to working out. And, um, so let's talk about protein. Yep. Okay. So protein, I, I know that. And, and let me also just, you know, remind everyone, we have to think about who we are as, as athletes or, and I know some people are nervous to call themselves an athlete, but uh, step I mean, one in your nutrition is to call yourself an athlete. Step two. Right. Is, <laughs> exactly. Because if you're moving around, like that's so true though, but that's a yeah. major, major thing. And we're talking but, about you if we're calling someone an athlete. So if you're listening and yeah. you're like, well, I'm not an athlete. No, we're talking about you. <laughs> exactly. Listen up. But yeah, I mean, I've heard this, and even in the plant-based slash vegan world, you know, everyone gets enough protein. But truly, um, if you have goals um, such as fat loss, you may not be getting enough protein. I, I mean, I if you log in um, something like MyFitnessPal, you'll see that, you know, if you eat, if you log something like spinach or some vegetables, it will count a gram or two for your vegetables. And I'm not saying there aren't amino acids or the building blocks of protein in in plant foods. Um, but at the end of the day, what's the total amount and what are your higher protein sources? I can tell you I've seen some some plant-based eaters, I've seen some animal protein eaters that, that think they're getting enough protein, but to stimulate things like fat loss or body recomposition, we have to shift around the amount of protein that we take in. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't, I don't agree wholeheartedly with that statement that everyone gets enough protein. It's just not, it's not happening across the board. And then when you throw Especially in Especially when we're talking about athletes. Because, like, in America, exactly. people are probably exactly. getting enough protein because they're eating fast food. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about health-conscious individuals who, you know, quote-unquote, know what they're doing. And, and that statement is often, or the idea that we all get enough protein when we're super health-conscious is, is when we may not be getting enough. Right. You're right. Yeah. And Yeah, exactly. When you throw the athlete thing into this picture... Um, depending on amount of training, like you, Meredith, did that 17-mile run yesterday or something, mm-hmm. I mean, your protein needs should be higher, whether or not you're getting them from plant sources, mostly yeah. or not. And I did. Right? I'll tell you what I had. I had a smoothie with plant-based protein um, after that, and then for dinner, I had lots and lots of beans and lentils and garbanzos. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so that does need to really be given attention. Yeah. Um, and and then just thinking of us aging, 
Um, <laughs> you know, wait, 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 wait. Us aging. <laughs> Not you. I'm 20 me. years old, Dina. <laughs> <laughs> but past age 30, 35, I mean, we start to lose muscle. Uh, you know, uh, and it can be dramatic depending on what we're doing, but that protein, it it truly may be not enough just to prevent that age-related loss of muscle, as, you know, as we go through our decades oh, of life. And think about um, that. So I don't, I guess all of that to say, I, I would be, um, you know, on our minds, maybe you're not getting enough protein. <laughs> Um, so that, that really is part of our program, right? Meredith, our optimal thrive is, you know, identifying your protein choices and giving some guidelines there to make sure you're, you're keeping up. Yeah. Well, let's talk to about, you covered this a little bit earlier, but, um, low fat, uh, no low carb, high fat, you know, as far as someone said that that's the only way that you can really become, fat adapted. And when we say fat adapted, it's like a metabolic efficiency term for saying you're using fat as your primary fuel source. So what, what do you, what say you, what say you about that? Right. And that's, yeah. What say me? I say that there's more than one way to skin the cat. Yeah. So even they though say I that out like in the that. Midwest too, huh? I thought that was a Southern <laughs> thing. Why are we skinning all these poor cats? <laughs> I know. That is such a rough it's way awful. to say that. Uh, my, my family says it too. There's more than one way to do this metabolic efficiency slash fat adaptation thing. So you do not need to subsist off of sticks of butter in order to become <laughs> more metabolically efficient. Um, again, remember, this isn't a no-carb, fad diet deprivation kind of thing. This is balancing blood sugar. So we still eat carbohydrates. We pick, um, ideally, we optimize the quality and we shift the amounts of those carbohydrates to support activity, body weight goals, um, other health goals or other medical conditions going on. Um, So if you listeners, you know, uh, you're a social media fan. I mean, be careful about what you see and um, what you read, that that the only way to become fat adapted is to, you know, eat 80% of your calories from fat because that's not true. And I can tell you with the metabolic efficiency testing that I do, I have worked with all kinds of people, all kinds of dietary patterns. And I've seen people who can eat a good amount of carbohydrate and still be awesome at their rate of fat burning. And also, and this may be a little bit too deep for a podcast, but you can become kind of a a shape shifter, right? So once you get your body into a good metabolic efficiency state, you can eat a little more carbs here and there and, and change things up. And then your body likes to go back to that equilibrium. That's true. You, I mean, we, so each of us can have a different threshold for what is tolerated in terms of carbohydrate loads per meal or per day, or, you know, even, um, you know, depending on your athletic, like your training volume and intensity and your insulin sensitivity, that threshold and range of carbohydrate is different for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, so some people, if we were to talk grams of carbohydrate, a couple hundred grams of carbohydrate in a day 
you can still be a really efficient fat burner. But some of us, due to metabolic um, derangements or whatever we <laughs> want to call it, or, or, you know, a history of some other conditions, we may need only 80 grams of carbohydrate in a day. Yeah. Or some of us have to, you know, move up and down day to day, right? So it, there's not one set formula. And what about recovery? Like, let's talk about um, recovery as far as recovery meals and, and this magical window of 30 to 45 minutes. And I don't even know what that means at this point, but you do. So what, what do you, what say you about recovery windows? <laughs> yeah, well, that I think is another um, misconception or, or guideline that's, that's still out there in the mainstream and, and from a lot of other um, nutrition folks that, you know, after your workouts, you have to shove in some some protein and, and carbohydrate and, and replenish, right, refuel before you lose your magic window and fall apart. <laughs> um, so that's, that really is also another thing that's changed. The more we get into the science and it evolves, we... Um, we see your body can replenish within, you know, 18 hours of time. So depending on what you're doing for your workouts, um, the duration and the intensity and, and what kind of daily nutrition patterns you have, you do not exhaust your stored carbohydrate with, you know, a 45-minute run or maybe even an hour-and-a-half run or bike ride or swim. So that recovery window, a few things. You may not need any recovery nutrition purposefully. Like you can just use your next meal as your recovery nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, You may not need to hit a 30-minute window depending on when your next training session is or what kind of volume you're undergoing for your training. Um, you may not have depleted yourself, period. So so why you know, do the 24-ounce thing of chocolate milk when you don't need it? Um, there, there's just a lot to that, and I think we're um, unveiling more and more of that as the, as the research is unveiled and, and <laughs> conducted. But, but I would say generally people are, um, that's an area where people are over-consuming some calories in that recovery window because they just don't understand when they need some purposeful recovery nutrition or how to get it. Yeah, and I can, I can give my testimony that you don't die after not having your recovery meal because yesterday I had my 17-mile run and I had to go to... Um, Dr. Sadri, my, my ART chiropractor, um, I saw him yesterday and he's great, but, um, I just love him. So I just had to say that, but, um, I forgot to bring any food for afterwards and I left my wallet. And so, um, I had my 17 mile run, drove 45 minutes to his office, was seen and drove an hour back and, and I didn't die, (laughs) but then I did (laughs) for sure. Nice. But I think, too, just to add to that, I mean, a lot of us um, athletes attribute a recovery shake, let's use that as an example, to um, removing or alleviating muscle soreness, 
like, you know, the next day, oh, shoot, I'm sore. I must have needed more protein or more calories or something. And, you know, we have to realize as athletes, we will get sore. This is part of the training that we do and the adaptation and the stressor on the body to become a stronger athlete. And and food may or may not affect your, your level of soreness. So I've just heard that from a number of folks that I start yeah. working with. Like, I must need more, you know, recovery. I, I, you know, I waited 41 minutes instead of 29 <laughs> minutes. So, I'm, you know, that's why I'm sore. And that's just not the case. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure a long run will just make you sore. <laughs> I'm sore I think all you're right. the time. And I, I eat think you're plenty right. of food. <laughs> <laughs> and you eat a lot of, you know... Vegetables, right? So yeah. like the, the anti-inflammatory level of your diet's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Optimal Thrive. This is your baby and I'm so proud of it. Proud to it's be. It's our baby. Of, <laughs> it's our baby. What are we going to name it? Oh, Optimal Thrive. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so proud to be a part of it with you and this is just one of, you know, when we started working together, I just was blown away at the comprehensive nature and the science-based information in this program. I mean, it's, it's really easy to understand, but it's just so developed and it's not fluffy. And I just think it's fantastic. So talk a little bit about, um, what we go, what is covered in the eight week program, of Optimal Thrive, which our next one starts October 1st. So um, it's right down the road. So in eight weeks, what can someone expect to learn and, and, and cover from this program? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and Meredith, I'm so excited for this next round of Optimal Thrive, uh, just based on the success from the last one as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm because of the work I do and, and my professional Stance, you know, I do like to to um, absolutely bring in science based or evidence informed information and, and education, and expose that to our group members. Um, trying not to overwhelm everyone with the science at the same time, but to make this also part of the non diet approach. You know, so so instructing or educating those on how to shift around those foods that, that each of us likes um, and maybe along the way introducing new foods to, to bring into your daily regimen. But how do, we, how do we promote this level of metabolic efficiency within the body? What do we get from doing that? So what are all of the health benefits? Um, what are benefits from the athletic side or the, you know, the training side. So teaching how to shift around foods, why to do so, and then looking at these various strategies that we each can pull in based on how your lifestyle, your readiness level is, you know, what's the right thing. But but starting simply, so those first few weeks of the program are really um, you know, introduction of the concepts, the reasons to do things, what you should expect to get out of this, and then figuring out which set of food strategies, nutrition strategies, um, are easiest for you to implement. And, and 
you know, we use some visuals. We've got some mathematical things. So, you know, we've got uh, pictures, right, to just try and make this non, um, a non-stressful, non-fad thing. It's, it's looking at real food and um, different models for each of us to employ to make these gradual changes towards becoming, um, I'll say, more metabolically efficient, but alongside that, which should be promoting our own health status. Um, I love the different strategies. You know, there's, I think we go over five of them in the program, but by the end, folks are totally passionate about one or two of them, you know, and it's really funny. We could almost have like camps and where do you fall, you know, which (laughs) strategy, but I think that's so great because, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach. And that's one of the the major misconceptions I think about metabolic efficiency and optimal thrive is, oh, this is just this one way. I mean, no, there is, you know, if you hang with it, you can learn five different strategies that you can employ and, and pick your favorite. And maybe your favorite doesn't come till the end. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the great things of this program too, is the interaction and, and sharing this is a supportive group, not, you know, one of the militant, you have to do this, like the, the eat this, not that kind of thing. It's supportive and sharing and interactive with our Facebook Live and our, you know, the webinars you and I do, um, lots of Q&A. And I think it's just a, looking at the behavioral side of how we eat. We need support systems in place. Um, aside from our family and friends and, and maybe a dietitian in the picture and our coach and so forth, but having each other to share ideas, um, even our food share thread. I mean, that's huge for people to actually see these amazing, simple concoctions right. that we each can come up with that we didn't even think of. You know, just changing one thing in a meal can be huge. And, and I think that simplicity factor, um, even though we all want it to be more difficult, it actually can be pretty, pretty simple when we, um, get down to it, but, but you've got to have that support system and knowledge foundation. Well, cool. I know I'm very much looking forward to the next one. You guys, if you're interested in joining us, the website is optimalthrivenutrition.com. And not to be confused with Optimus Prime, the transformer, but it's kind of the same way as far as it transforms. <laughs> a lot of a way that you'll look at food and everything. So, well, I think we're we're going to wrap up, Dina. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or say? And I just appreciate you so much, and I hope you know that. Thank you, Meredith. No, I'm just thrilled to be um, partnering with you on this nutrition um, endeavor and how we're affecting folks' lives in a positive way. It's it's such a joy, and um, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. And I hope folks will join us for our next program. Well, one more question for you. So I ask it to, of everyone who joins me on the podcast. Uh, the same 24 hours is what this podcast is called, and the idea comes from the fact that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes us happier, healthier, more successful, or better at our guitar playing. So what is it that you, Dina Griffin, do 
on a daily basis that you can point to and, and know that that makes a big difference in your life? Gosh, I, I will say currently, I, I make time to laugh or find a way to giggle because that just changes my whole brain chemistry and mm -hmm. makes my day so much more fun. Um, and I think a lot of us that are so serious and, and buried in work, we forget to, to have a good time, e even if it's just, you know, a, a few minutes of, of trying to find something funny. But um, there's so much missing in our lives if, if we're not laughing or having a good time and smiling. I knew I liked you. <laughs> we're silly well thank you Dina you guys check out OptimalThriveNutrition.com we start October 1st on the next one and look forward to seeing many of you in it so thanks Dina sounds awesome thank you Meredith